I know I've done this before, but can I just ask you one more time to give it up for this band and all that they've done? Uh, you know, again, I can't thank, thank them enough, thank God enough for the team that he's placed together here. Uh, with all the, the, the other duties I had this morning, I knew they were in good hands up here. I knew y'all, they, they were going to do great. And so I'm thankful for all that they do. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, why don't you turn and look at somebody next to you and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Now look at them, now look at them back and say, did you mean that? Because some of them are like, I'm so glad you're here. No. no, I want you to know, I genuinely am glad that we get to come together this morning. And we are going to continue our series in the book of Revelation. We're looking at the, specifically the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be pouring out the scripture and seeing what he has for us this morning in that. I gave my life to Jesus at 15 years old. Uh, I grew up in church and uh, thought that I had prayed a prayer. I knew I had prayed a prayer with my pastor and my dad, uh, and I knew that, that that's what I was supposed to do. Um, but really, if, you, if we were to go back and look at my life, uh, there wasn't a heart change in that until 15 years old. Uh, I was on a mission trip. I, I tried my best to live the different lives. Uh, eventually, uh, growing up in church, knew the right answers, but eventually uh, my family left our church after a conflict that we had, so I just completely fell out of church and quit going for two years. Uh, and my friends uh, that were coming with me, because my dad was a deacon, uh, he was the leader of RAs, we had RAs uh, back then with, with our uh, kids' department, and, uh, and he was the leader of it, so we, when we quit going, they quit coming with us, and uh, we just kind of started doing our own thing, and that own thing included going to parties, doing things we know we shouldn't be doing, uh, doing things that we know were, were, would probably get us you know, thrown in jail. I took my, you've heard me say I took my first sip of alcohol at 13 years old, right before I was 14, because it's a challenge from a, a senior. I was a freshman from a senior in high school, and you want to look cool with them, and so, so we did that. But through the blessing of a friend that stayed in church, invited me back, started going back to, with them, and, uh, and, started trying, and then I started living the double life. Uh, started doing uh, the two different things. I was doing this during the week with my friends and then going to church Wednesdays and Sundays, but started hearing the good news of the gospel. Uh, I can only explain it that God worked it out for me to go on a mission trip the summer between my sophomore and junior year up in Racine, Wisconsin. It was completely orchestrated by God. Uh, I had asked about going uh, earlier on several months before, and because there was no more, it was so late, there was no space available, so I said, that's fine. All my church friends will be up there. That gives me free time with my, with my unchurched friends here. Uh, and two weeks before that mission trip left, uh, our youth pastor calls my dad and asks and says that they knew we were looking for a spot. One spot opened up, and they, and they said if they, they wanted to know if we still wanted it. So I talked with my dad, uh, and my dad, uh, without me knowing it, we, before, he had, uh, before I had even talked with him, Keenan, my, my youth pastor, talked to me about that. He brings it up to me without me knowing that as well. And I said, well, okay, fine, I'll go. Uh, all throughout that week, I was bombarded by the good news of Jesus, what he had done. My whole youth group gets up. They had kind of a reverse 
altar call instead of if you need to give your life to Jesus, come forward. It's if you have given your life to Jesus, come forward. And we want you to get a glow stick just representing the light of Christ. Uh, and all my youth group gets up and leaves me. Uh, and I'm pretty much the only one sitting there. And I know I need to go, but there's literally feel something almost whole. And I have an argument with God right there uh, in, a, in a local high school in Racine, Wisconsin, which is where we were staying. And uh, got back with my youth group. We had time together as a group afterwards. And all I could say was, y'all have something I don't. I need it now. And gave my life to Christ right there. Uh, and uh, I, I, I look back. I've shared this with several people. But I, I know God was working that out. Uh, because the very next day, one of my closest friends I played football with died in a car accident. Uh, and if I had not been with those friends, I would have been with these other friends uh, and gotten that news. Uh, and quite possibly may have been with that friend. I don't know. Uh, God was completely working out this. But I would love to say I came back from Racine, Wisconsin, and was completely on fire for God and totally wanted. I did have a new fire. did have a new passion. The Spirit of God had given uh, me new life. Uh, but the struggle was I went from that, that context back into this context with these friends. Uh, anybody ever heard the term uh, missionary dating or missionary friendships? Like, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's basically this idea that you're a Christian uh, and this person is not a Christian, so the way you're going to win them to Jesus is go befriend them. Or really, the, the worst part is, is, is the missionary dating, which means basically, oh, but he, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help him love Jesus. No. <laughs> nope, <laughs> not happening. Uh, but he's the one, because that, that's what really happens. Instead of trusting in the one, we believe he is the one. And that never works. Ladies, guys, don't do it. Trust me, okay? Um, but the problem was is that friends or relationships or whatever, oftentimes what we do is we believe, we feel like we have to still stay in that context. Uh, we still have to do certain things because now we no longer want to do those things, but we really care about our friends. We really care about these relationships, and we want them to trust in Jesus. Uh, and so we, we sacrifice that. We feel like if we just do that, and can I just say, if you are a mature follower of Jesus and able to sustain that relationship and able to walk into those mission fields, amen, amen, thank you, and continue walking in that. Can I just say for me, as a new believer who had just heard the good news of Jesus and didn't completely understand everything, the greatest sacrifice I made in my relationship with Jesus was to continue in some of those friendships and continue in some of those relationships, some of those influences you see, the thing is, is what's happening, what happens in the church, what we're looking at today, we're looking at the church in Thyatira, and, and, and the mindset is, is if we just go into the world and show love and compassion, then, then, then they'll come to know Jesus, we'll have the chance to win all these people, and can I say again, we're called to do that, we're called to make disciples, we're called to, as we go, to go into all, unto all nations and make those disciples, but can I challenge us a little bit first on something else, is that we are also called, they will know us, we also hear in scripture that they will know us by our love, not for the world, but they will know us by our love for who? For one another. And the context there, you, if, you, if you study that, the context there is, is first and foremost, as we grow in relationship in the family of God, 
Yes, we need, I'm telling you, we need to understand that God has created all people. Every human being on this earth has been created in the image of God and is the imago dei, the image bearer of of who God is, and they are equal in dignity, value, and worth. And one of the greatest atrocities is the understanding that people are not equal in that. And I am not saying that I will tell you right now that that is not scriptural. If you, don't, if you don't believe that, then you are believing a lie. We are all equal in that. However, we also have to look at the calling that our first and foremost responsibility is to our Lord. And as we build that relationship, he'll strengthen us to do that, to go and talk with them. But we need to make sure we're strengthened there before we try to start strengthening here. Before we start walking out into there. They will know us for our love for one another. We're also called to show what? What does he say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16? He says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your what? Your good deeds. So that they may see your holiness. So they may see your pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. And then what? And then, then they will glorify our Father. See, I believe the the concern of this church that we're looking at here in Revelation is a concern that we can say is within the church in America today. And I want us to really look and examine what that looks like today because we talked about last week the church in Pergamum who was compromising on their beliefs. And today we're looking at a church that I believe is the result of continuing to compromise in that. that. We said last week that... A, uh, the generation that tolerates something, the next generation accepts. If that generation accepts, the next generation celebrates. And there's a progression there. I believe we can look at these churches and see a progression. And the, the thing we have to understand and have to realize in Scripture is that the testimony of the church is more often hindered than helped when we have this mindset to tolerate or even accept sin. And if we want to be honest, we can look in churches today and we have to examine and make sure that we're not right there with them. Is there sin that we're tolerating or even accepting? And we can do it in so many different names, in so many different banners, in the understanding of it's for the gospel, it's so that we can reach these people. Yes, we need to, but trust me when I tell you, that is not the calling, that is not how they know. Often, if we approach this, if we have this mindset, if we believe and we say, well, it's not that big of a deal, or I'm doing this so that my friends or so that this person or so that people, other people feel more comfortable around me, can I just say that you may be hindering the work of the gospel? Because often what I've heard in accounts like that, the result is not so much that they gave their life to Christ. They ultimately said, why do I need to even live for Jesus if it's ultimately being accepted? Right? I mean, if we're, if we're honest, if we, if, if we take the approach that, you know what, God loves to forgive and, and, and people love to sin, so we don't want to step on those toes. And, and please hear me in my, my prayers that I don't step on toes, but if there are toes to be stepped on, I'm sorry right now, but i got to keep going on it because it's needed on this because we need to understand that, they, that we may even be hurting. They may have the mindset that they still love me even though I'm wrong, so surely God still loves me even though I'm wrong. And what we need to understand, the calling to be a disciple comes before the calling to make disciples. 
The calling to be a disciple comes before the calling to make disciples. And my heartbeat this morning is that we would examine ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. The takeaway this morning as we look at the church in Thyatira is this. Jesus desires his church to be sanctified from sin no matter what. We can almost retitle the series, No Matter What, because it, it, the, the heartbeat is seeing the message that we're looking at throughout the churches as each of these churches has something that we can or need to examine and make sure that we're not walking in or that we are if it is a, a commendation, that, but that saying that no matter what, this year there is going to be something different in our lives and we need to understand as a church that Jesus desires his church to be sanctified. That All that means is just a big church word. Can I just break that? All that means is to be holy or set apart. If we want to break apart, break down sanctification, it is to be set apart. You are walking in this area. Something has taken you out of that situation and set you apart over here, not influenced by this anymore, set apart. And that's what the Spirit of God did through the work of Jesus when he saved us. He set us apart in stance and in uh, declaration as he justified us. But now our responsibility is that because as we have been set apart, we are now to continue walking in that. And the problem is, is that many churches may not, many people in church may not understand that and the church themselves may not be walking in it. The call, see, the call to a disciple is to die to self and to sin. Ultimately, James 1, 27 says this. It says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, how do we do that? Can I just say, I, I, you're saying, Henry, you're, it's going to be tough. I, I get it. Trust me, I understand. I know. Uh, we are in the, a culture today that makes it very difficult to follow Jesus. I've said it, I've said it before, I'll say it again. We are, we are out of the culture and out of the mindset that being a Christian is beneficial. There are still certain areas that it helps a little bit, but even that is shifting. I grew up and I remember those days when, when there was a time when being a member of a church or being a member uh, or, or being part of a local congregation, serving in an in a area within the church was beneficial for your social life, maybe for your business. Those days are passing away if they haven't already. But the call to follow Jesus is still the same no matter what. Nonetheless. And what we have to see is are we walking towards sanctification. Look at the letter to Thyatira with me in Revelation chapter 2. Beginning in verse 18, it says this, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like, fiery, like a fiery flame, and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. 
I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the mind and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira that who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Now, I'll, here's a couple, a couple things that I want us to unpack with this takeaway and out of this passage. Two things I want us to see as we desire and we look to see that Jesus desires his church to pursue holiness, to, to pursue this, this sanctification, this life of being more made more and more into the image of Jesus. Two things I want us to see. First is this, Jesus' glory reveals everything no matter what we tried to hide. Jesus' glory reveals everything, no matter what we try to hide. Look at verse number 18 and 19 with me. It says, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like a fine Bronze. Now, a couple things about the background of Thyatira. We've got to understand the context of where these churches are sitting, where these churches have been planted, and where they're growing and walking in. Thyatira, unlike the other churches that we've looked at, was not a prominent city within Asia Minor. It wasn't, as pr- it wasn't prominent like Ephesus uh, or Pergamum like we looked at. Pergamum last week we looked at was the capital of Asia Minor. Honestly, Thyatira was just a city about 40 miles southeast uh, of Pergamum, and it was really just a military outpost. It was on one of the main roads there that led to Pergamum, but really what it had been established for, its main purpose was to be there to let the people in Pergamum know that, hey, an army is coming and they've wiped us out. How'd you like to have that, that as your responsibility within, within the kingdom? Like, your job is to just take the blow, take one for the team, right? You ever, anybody ever play baseball and they told you, we need you to just take one for the team? You knew exactly what that meant, right? And I looked at my coach and said, no, <laughs> I'm not taking one for the team. I like my kidneys. I, li- I, I bruise easy, coach. I can't be stepping into no ball. No, But that was their job, basically. Their job was to take one for the team and basically to give enough time for someone to get away from Thyatira just to go let Pergamum know, hey, there's an army coming and they've already killed all of us. But the interesting thing is that under the Roman Empire, there was a period of peace. And so they had a chance to realize, wait a minute, we're not being attacked. Let's try to develop this city a little bit. And so they, became, they did have some economic influence, but they weren't a major political power. They weren't a major, major religious institute there. There wasn't much academics going on. They were just kind of a secular culture right there, secular society within the Roman Empire that was kind of focused primarily on their work. Does that sound familiar? Get up. Their, 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 their life was get up, go to work, get up. Make a living, go to sleep. Get up, make a living, feed your family, go to sleep. Get. That's, I mean, 
I don't know about y'all, but I, 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 I see a pattern here. There's so many, there's so many comparisons and things that we could say that, they're, that are similar here. But this peace had allowed it to grow, and it was controlled by guilds. And guilds were nothing more than just unions, okay? They're modern, our modern-day unions, the guilds, uh, were that in ancient time. And so if you wanted your business to succeed, you would be part of a guild. You would be part of one of the various guilds within the church that with, I mean, within the city there, to make sure that your business flourished. If not, then there was a good chance you were not going to have much success there. And, and, and Jesus writes to this church in Thyatira, and what we first thing we need to understand is that this message, what we're talking about, is not just for large churches. You see, there's this mindset that just because a church is large or a church is growing or a church is under, that, that, that automatically they, they, there's a good chance they're compromising in the gospel. You know, there's this mindset that the bigger they are, the, you know, the more worldly they are. Can I just say that I don't believe that whatsoever? I know churches, even within our convention, that are tens of thousands of members, and guess what? They are the leading force in, in producing missionaries for our convention. They are leading, they are leading force that they are planting. They have their own church planting network out there. President of our convention, J.D. Greer, is the pastor of the Summit Church up in Raleigh, North Carolina. Can I, and he, his church has produced over 160 of our current missionaries that are on the mission field through the IMB right now. So it's not just about the size of that. I know churches that whether they're 10,000 or 10 people, they, they, they can fall, they can fall uh, victim to this understanding that we need to see and understand that we are all called to examine our lives. We're all called to look and see what God has for us. And, and look and see with me in verse 18 what Jesus says. He identifies himself and he goes back, as he's done in all the others, he goes back and identifies himself with one of the identifications he gave in chapter 1. And he says this, he says, thus says the Son of God. Now, if you go back and look at chapter 1, that title is actually not mentioned in there. He says, there was one standing before me like a son of man. And what is happening here is Jesus was alluding to his humanity and trying to help the church understand that he is there with them. But this church had walked so far away, had walked into the deep end so much that he says, this is not about me being one of you. You need to understand who I am. I am the Son of God. And he proclaims his authority and his power to the church through that declaration. He says that Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame. Now, some of y'all know exactly what this looks like when you made your wife mad or something, right? You know exactly what this, you know, ooh. Yeah, I don't know. You made anybody, but let's just say anybody mad. I love the, the movie Inside Out by Disney, and, and probably the favorite character is the little redhead, uh, the anger. You know, he, and he's always, he's always getting mad. And he finally blows his top and fire just comes off of his top of his head. Well, it's one of those things. That you, you see that in the eyes when you really make someone mad. You know, there's a fiery flame in there. And I believe first and foremost, there is an anger here for what, what the church is doing and representing when Jesus says, one whose eyes are like fiery flame. But can I just say this? Do you realize and have you ever understood that scripture, in Scripture, if you look at fire, fire was the was the primary source of purifying something. 
Fire was the primary source. You've heard it talked about in Psalms where the refiner's fire, what that meant was a fire would be lit to refine gold and silver or precious metals. And they would make this fire so hot that it would melt these precious metals down. And all the waste and all the bad stuff within that metal would float to the top. And then they would scrape that off, the dross, they would scrape that off and set that aside. And they would do this process over and over. And it was all because of the refiner fire that was there. What is the, what is the Holy Spirit represented as mostly? A fire. This burning purity, this burning holiness, this burning desire to walk in Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the one who has fiery, whose eyes are like fiery flames, who sees. And can I just say, he sees everything. The fiery flame burns off when when the gaze of Jesus is on us. It burns everything else away. And what's left is us standing before God as we really are. See, we're good at hiding, are we not? We're good at putting on a show. We're good at putting on a mask. Come in, hey, how y'all doing? I'm doing fine. Right? Am I right? And as soon as they, you know, you, you could be walking up somebody, somebody walk up like this, and as soon as they see you, how you doing? I'm doing fine. And you see them when they walk off. And, and we know they're not. We're trying our best to hide everything we can, anything we can. What do we ultimately try to hide? Try to hide sin. Try to hide our failures. Try to hide those areas that we're lacking that we know we don't need to be walking in. Can I just say, The sight of Jesus, the glory of our God, burns bright enough to see through our mask. It burns bright enough to see what would it be like if we just dropped our mask, if we allowed the fiery flame of the Son of God pierce into our lives for just a second. What would it do to us? Jesus sees everything going on within his church, good and bad. He did commend them. He did commend his people. Look at, look at verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that you, your last works are greater than the first. He acknowledges. He, he wanted to commend their love and faithfulness, that practical and enduring love. This is the thing that even Ephesus lacked. Ephesus had the good works. They were walking in faith, they were walk, but they had no love. Thyatira is at least walking in love, right? But the, but the gaze of Jesus, the, the fiery flame, could see right through it. He also identifies himself with feet are, that are like fine bronze. It is a symbol of his authority and his power. The gaze was a symbol of his omniscience, his all-knowingness, all, the, the, the fact that God knew everything. And, and the, the feet of bronze represented the power that God was over everything. God knows everything, and he is over everything. And he is in charge and does desire his church to walk a certain way. And the bridegroom desired his bride to stay pure to him. But they were not by any means. You see, Thyatira was what Pergamum was on its way to becoming. It's interesting if you look at the three churches right here in this section. If you look at the church uh, uh, of Smyrna and then the church of Pergamum, uh, Pergamum and then the church of Thyatira. I'm sorry, the church of Pergamum, Thyatira, and we're going to look at Sardis next week. There's a progression there. 
there's a compromising. And what Thyatira was, was the majority who were faithful, but there was a minority who was compromising and giving into this. What had happened in Thyatira was that minority had become the majority. And they were in charge. They were ruling over. And the eyes of Jesus revealed it. And here's what, here's what he says to them. The second thing I want us to see as we look at the desire that Jesus has for his church to walk in sanctification is Jesus' glory reveals everything no matter what we try to hide. And so therefore, our desire and pursuit should be holiness no matter what may be removed. Our desire for our lives needs to be that, that we would pursue and, tr- and run after holiness no matter what it takes. No matter what it costs us. What does he say? Look in verse 20 with me. 20 21. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat Uh, eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, a couple of things we need to unpack with this is we need to see our desire and pursuit needs to be holiness no matter what's removed. The first thing that that Jesus identifies in this church is this woman that they're tolerating called Jezebel. Now, there are some accounts that believe, we do believe that there is an actual woman that that is running and running rampant with this understanding has great influence and has great authority in the church that is leading them but the greater illustration is even looking back and alluding to the woman in the old testament who who was named jezebel and can i just say it's one of the most infamous names possibly in history names are a kind of identity right i don't see many people naming their sons judas or naming their daughters jezebel Right? I mean, I mean, I looked it up, and on the name, on the popularity list, Jezebel was like 5,114. Okay? It didn't even break the 1,000. It didn't break the 100. It was five, and the sad thing is, is that it actually had moved up 1,000 spots from the previous year. So that kind of shows that most people are not looking forward or understanding positively this name, and that is rightly so, because if you go back and follow the account, of Jezebel, go back to 1 Kings chapter 16, all the way through the rest of the book, you're going to hear the, the atrocities that Jezebel was part of. It's part of the killing of, of the prophets of God, one who tore down and led people into this idolatry of worshiping Baal. She was the wife of King Ahab, and she was the one calling the shots. The name Jezebel actually means not exalted, and, it, and she is not exalted whatsoever, you can tell, by the usage of her name, the way we even use it commonly today. But here, it's a self-proclaimed leader that calls herself a prophetess of God, and it was the arrogance and pride within them that was so sinful. It wasn't the fact that she was called a prophetess, that she was a prophetess of God. We're not going to get into that discussion today. It was the more the fact that she was calling herself a prophetess. It was not a title given by God. When we start giving ourselves titles, when we start giving ourselves we got a big problem. And God says that is not the way it's meant to be. 
And this sin was so rampant, was growing so much that it was drawing the believers, the majority of the believers away to follow after this. Ephesus may have, may have not walked in love, but Thyatira struggled in showing the works that are called to be a believer. And we need to see the important lesson here. We've got to understand anything or anyone that gets your eyes off of Jesus is not of God. As we seek to, it is our desire to pursue holiness, to to run after this set-apart status, this understanding that we are sanctified, we are set-apart. I'm not saying we can be removed of the world. We can't do that. We should not do that. But we need to be first and foremost focused on our sanctification because it is our sanctification that magnifies Jesus' name and tells the world, hey, there's something different about this person. And Jezebel was not leading people to that. She was saying, look, it's okay. You know Jesus. You know him. Just keep working over here like this. You, you talk about him. You go to church. You talk. You hear about it. It's okay if you keep giving into this sin. It's okay if you keep compromising, tolerating, accepting, or, or celebrating these things. What did Jesus say? Jesus said he gave her time to repent. His desire was not to bring this judgment. He does not desire that. He desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. But she said, no. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want, verse 21, she does not want to repent of her sexual morality. Instead of repenting, she kept drawing more and more people away. We have to understand the church is called to love everything Jesus loves. Yes, amen, thank you, Jesus. But the church is also called to hate everything that Jesus hates. Why? Because he's king and he gets to decide. And he's called us to follow him no matter what. To pursue a life that honors him in such a way. Not separating ourselves from any of those circumstances. Not not removing ourselves completely so that no one ever sees that. If we take the light and hide it under a basket, if we set it down on the ground, it's going to be of no use. What do we do? We exalt that light. We set that light high so it lights up the whole room so everyone sees it. We must shine a light, but we have to make sure we have a light to shine. And that's what Jesus is calling this church to walk in, to understand. The problem is that that sin doesn't need to be managed. We're trying to manage our sin. If we want to be honest, we, 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 we really don't want to give that up. I mean, if sin was so easy to give up, it, it, we, we wouldn't have any, right? I mean, it, it, it'd be, yeah, see, that's easy, that's no problem. The problem is, is that sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasing. What do, you say, what do we say last week in 1 John chapter 2? The things of this world are the lust of the flesh, desires, the wants, the lust of the eyes, what we see and what looks pleasing. What, nobody looks at something and goes, ugh, I want that. Ugh, that's great. Ugh, yes. No. I mean, unless you're... Unless you know, you're a guy and you smelt something that smelt really bad and you want to go give, you know, ask somebody else to smell it with you. But that's a whole other story. 
Nobody looks at things and says, that's gross, and then goes and pursues after it, right? We pursue the things that are pleasing. We pursue the things that, that look good. We pursue the things that excite us. Can I just say, it's not, your problem is not the pursuit. The problem is what you're pursuing. It's not the pursuit itself. God has put within us these desires. God has put within us certain desires that honor, that have a chance to honor and glorify Him if we will pursue Him first with it. And that's the calling of the church. That's what we're called to walk in. And can I just say the emphasis is not so much, it's not so much the the specifics of this of the sins. Yes, the great sins of that time were that they were given into sexual immorality and eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And the reason they were doing that was because all the guilds, all the unions in the city were part of followed some specific religious god, and they would have festival uh, festivals and feasts, and they would have all these these uh, holidays that required you to go and be part of, and they required you to. To go and eat that meat. They required you to go and take and participate in things you didn't that they didn't need to be participating in. And it was the fact that they were giving into that, and that was what was leading them at that time. But can I just say it may look different in our church, but sin is sin. And it's not the focus of the or the specifics of the sin as much as it is the emphasis and the lack of repentance that was in Thyatira. We could, take, we, could, we could list out different sins, and that may be the influence of Jezebel in our lives. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe there's bitter f- feelings, there's, there's anger. There's a bitterness and a hurt that you're just not willing to let go. And in fact, it is so powerful in your life, it is affecting and deceiving and drawing others into it. Maybe it's gossip. Could it be that there's gossip that's corrupting and compromising the church? Could it be there is, if you look at our culture, there is sexual immorality all within our culture. What's the saying? Sex sells. Can't watch a, you can't even watch a show on TV anymore. With I'm talking anything hardly anymore without some commercial that alludes to sexuality and that desire to draw away. So it's there, but I'm saying it's not just that. Maybe it's just a pride and an arrogance, or maybe it's a fear. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what is drawing or deceiving you, but can I just say our desire and our pursuit should be holiness to the God who saved you, who gave his life on a cross so that we don't have to go after those things anymore. That was the problem in the church in 1 Corinthians, in the church in Corinth when, when Paul wrote the first letter, the, the first letter we have in Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Follow along on the screen with me. It says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the kind of sexual immorality that, not even, that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, which is gross. Catch this, verse 2, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and removed from your congregation, the one who did this? What? 
whoa, 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 Henry, come out. It's getting a little difficult here. The pursuit of holiness is difficult. But can I tell you right now, there's no greater pursuit that can ever be instilled within your heart than to love Jesus with everything you have and say, I'm going to follow him. And our, and our proclamation shouldn't be, look how much we love. It's look how much we love Jesus. Verse 6, Paul says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? One sin. Just a little bit. Just a little bit in there. Messing everything up. And finally, he says, in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually, sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. So he's saying, look, the world is broken. There is sin in this world. We're not trying. I'm not talking about that, okay? We're not, this, it, if you're not a believer, I, this is not a message for you on this, okay? I want you to know this, is, this message is for the church of Jesus to walk. If you're not a believer, I want you to know you are loved and I'm thankful that you're here to, to, to hear what the Word of God says. But hear this, verse, verse 11. But actually I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't, don't you judge those who are inside? God judges the outsiders. Therefore, remove the evil person from among you. We're not here to judge the sin outside the church. We cannot expect the world to act any other way besides the world. If this mindset that we think, well, they should just, it's been written in their hearts. Yes, the word of God and the, and the commands of God has been written on their conscience. And guess what? According to Scripture, the conscience is seared. We're dead in our sin without the hope of Jesus God will do his work in that. But our sin is not acceptable to manage. He says remove it. Kill it. Can I just say this? You either kill sin or sin will kill you. Calling is not to manage. We're not in sin management. We're sin in a sin extermination. To get rid of it. And the message is a warning to the believers today. If you're, a, if you're not a believer here this morning, I want you to know you are loved. We love you. We hate sin. Believe it, 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 it breaks God's heart. And we hate the bondage that it's put you in. Jesus offers freedom. He offers eternal life. And we will all stand to give an account for our actions. But there is grace. But for those of us who have been shown grace who's still dancing around with sin, who's still giving into that, hear the message to Thyatira, repent. The judgment's coming to Jezebel, Jesus says. Look at verse 22. 
Look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as, the, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. What do we do? Well, to the followers of Jezebel, to the one who is walking in blatant sin and says that you're a believer, the message is repent. Turn from it. Run away. Get away as fast as you can. Why? Because Jesus is patient. He is showing great patience even now. You look through Scripture, you're going to see, you're going to see example after example of people that profess to be followers of Jesus. And because they were walking in sin, Jesus had to remove them from the church. Some of them, he had to remove them from this world. And he says it's better to give the body over to destruction and to save the soul. And I don't know when it comes, if it comes. I believe it will. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And can I just say that justice delayed is not justice denied why not take the grace now see the sad thing is i'm reading i'm reading a book right now by aw tozer called the pursuit of god and he says this says jesus waits to be wanted he's desiring that's what he's doing even with his message he's wanting he's showing this desire he says look i'm waiting i'm holding back as much as i can it's too bad that many of us for that with many of us he waits so long so very long in vain. Will we repent? He's going to make sure all churches know who he is and what he's about. He says that. He says, look at the end of verse 23. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, can I just give this commendation? There's no other burden. Keep following Jesus. Jesus is all, maybe all you have. Jesus is all you need. If you will commit and say, I, I am here to follow Jesus no matter what. I desire to pursue holiness no matter what. I am willing to give up anything no matter what. If something is revealed, it's not mine, it's his no matter what. If something needs to be removed, it's not mine, it's his no matter what. Can that be our prayer this morning as the band comes forward? Could that be the calling that he has for each of us? The question ultimately is this. Are we willing to give everything to Jesus no matter what is revealed or removed? Are we willing to give everything to Jesus no matter what is revealed or is removed? Verse 26, finish out the letter. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Look, perseverance is the calling for all believers to trust and pursue him 
no matter what. We stumble, we fall, we fail. Understand the beauty of the gospel is that there is grace. There is grace. There is grace to repent. There is grace to, to genuinely stop and ask Jesus, would you reveal anything in my life that is not honoring? Would you open our eyes? What if that is our prayer this morning? What would it look like if that was our prayer? To allow the fiery flames of the, the, the eyes of the Son of God to gaze into our heart. Some of us are scared to death to do that. Because we're scared what he might reveal. Can I just say this? He's going to reveal it, and he's going to reveal it out of grace and out of love and out of mercy. Why? So that you can know him. You know what he wants to do? He wants to come right here. He doesn't want to be back here. He doesn't want to be gazing at his people. He wants to get right up in there. Say, hey, Bill, how you doing? Man, I'm so thankful for your heart. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. He wants to come over into your life. He wants to come over and say, hey, hey, Hunter, hey, thank you. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. He, he wants to look at some of us and he goes, hey, thank you so much for what you've done. We've got this area. There's this, there is this area of sin. Look, I can remove that. Trust me. I can help with that. I can take care of that. Would you let the Father look this morning? Just to remove distractions again. That's simply why we do it, but just bow your heads right there. have that conversation. We, we have a conversation with Jesus through prayer. We have a conversation with our God through what he's done and the door he has opened through prayer to say, look, God, here I am. I desire, I desire to pursue you. Reveal what you need to reveal. Remove what you need to remove. But here I am. What would it look like if that was your prayer? Some of us, there probably are areas that we need to remove. And can I just say, Jesus takes those areas serious. If there is sin in your life, do not keep compromising with it. Do not keep trusting in it. Do not keep pursuing it. It is corruptive, and it will break you down. You can't manage it. Let Jesus kill it and give it to him right now. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this and you, you've not trusted in him. You've never, you've never put your hope in him. You don't know who this son of God is. Can I tell you, he is the only hope that we have. Yes, sin will be pleasing for a time. It will work for a little while. But there will come a day, if it is not the end of your life, if, if not sooner, that you will realize that it does not last and it cannot save you. And the only hope is to trust in the finished work of Jesus who gave his life, who is the Son of God and able to forgive you. Why, Henry, I don't know if I can be forgiven. I've walked in this sin too long. There is no sin that's so great that grace can't wash it clean. As your heads are bowed, I want you to just hear the words of Paul out of 1 Corinthians 6, the next chapter, as he recounted the the struggle that there are people that are walking in this and unfortunately they will not inherit the, the earth but catch this and some of you used to be like this some of you used to be like what those that are walking in the sin those that are battling this struggle but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of god 
You've been set free. Walk in that freedom. Whatever sin there is, you know what it is. You don't have to take time. We, we honestly, it's, we, I, we'll draw this out too long because the reality is, is if there's a sin in your life, it's already starting, and the Spirit of God is living within you, it's already starting to be revealed. It's already starting to come up. The moment I talked about that, the Spirit of God said, yep, that's it. Confess it. Repent of it. Repentance is turning from that, walking away from it. Don't say you'll do better. Say that you are done and walk away. We're asking the Holy Spirit to do His work. That's how He does it. He's the helper. He's the, he's the comforter. He's the one who convicts us, but He also comforts us. Trust in Him right now, even as we close out our time just singing briefly, asking Him, telling Him He's welcome. If there's anything I can do to pray for you, if anything I can pray with you about, if you need to talk to me about trusting in Jesus, I guarantee you, I know that there is someone in this room that needs to give their lives to Jesus and to make that commitment. Repent today. Come talk to me. Let's talk this out. I'm here for you. Our leaders are here for you. Find someone. Let's walk in repentance and walk in, in holiness only through Jesus trusting in Him. Why? Because there, if we do that, there's a blessing in it. There's authority. There's, ultimately, there's His presence. So, Father God, I pray right now, just in this time, as we conclude, God, that you would work. If not, if not right now, would you not let go of that person's heart? Let them go home and let it stay. Let, it, let them realize it's not about this place. It's about the Spirit that's working in them. God, and I pray anyone that is struggling with this, anyone that has these, this sin in their life, God, I'm asking you to not let them go. If you have to keep them awake at night, if you have to make them so uncomfortable that they can't, that they're physically getting sweaty, I've, I've, I've seen it happen, God. This battle is real. God, let them repent. Let them walk in it. I pray that they would give that over to you now, though. Confess that. Believe in you and trust in you. God, may your church, may it be said of your church that you find us faithful as we pursue holiness, not perfection, but pursuing to look more and more like Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for his good name, Jesus Christ.